The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. As we've been discussing lately, the ramifications and consequences of the latest COP17 CITES decisions, we found out that lions were not uplisted to Appendix 1. One, this would have given wild lions much fuller protections and have a conservation value, or that even if CITES had split-listed them, which would have helped wild lions more. Um, But instead, what we got was a listing on lions, keeping them in Appendix 2, and further, CITES went and approved the continued lion breeding and captive lion farming industry, and on top of that, the continued trade of lion bones, teeth, and claws to Asia, uh, which is a shocker to all of us who have been working so hard over the past several years, and especially in light of 2015 with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife decision uplisting lions to endangered and threatened, and then all the work that the various campaigns have done to bring awareness to the canned hunting, canned breeding industry. So today, my guest again is Chris Mercer. It's always a pleasure to talk with Chris, and he was the originator and the founder of the International Campaign Against Canned Hunting. And on the opening day of CITES, marching right up to the doors of the Santon Convention Center, was a huge global march for lions, elephants, and rhino, as well as in every major city across the world showing tremendous support to list lions as Appendix 1. And even further, at the IUCN meeting, that's the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, that met in Honolulu, it's the second largest conservation wildlife-oriented meeting, was an overwhelming approval to uplist lions to Appendix 1. That didn't happen. So Chris joins us today to tell us a little more about, or a lot more, about the ramifications and consequences this is going to have not only on the wild lion population in South Africa and across, uh, excuse me, lion rain states, but the ramifications of what it means to the Predator Breeding Association and for the lions in captivity. Welcome, Chris. Uh, Thanks, Ellie. It's great to have you back. It's always wonderful to talk to you. So I'm sure 
you are as disheartened as all of us and most of the world who wanted to see lions uplisted to Appendix 1. So perhaps you can help us understand what this is going to mean, not only for the work that your campaign is doing, but what it means on the ground. Maybe you could give us a little background, some history, and listeners, go back and listen to our previous episodes with Chris. Um, One is uh, Bread for the Bullet. So Chris, um, help us understand how this started. Why? What piqued your interest in the beginning to say something's not right here? Ellie, Bev and I were running a wildlife rehab center in the Kalahari at the time the Cook Report came out and exposed the canned hunting issue. And because we were sensitized to the suffering of animals, working hands-on with them uh, all day, uh, we took a particular interest in this issue. Now, we also came across the hunting industry and we also came across the stranglehold which the hunting industry has on conservation in South Africa and the other rangeland states. And so we realized that with the support of the South African government, the hunting industry would just keep its head down until the bad publicity blew over and other issues rose to uh, become more fashionable and then it would be business as usual. So we decided then and there that we would focus on this issue. So we've been working uh, to uh, get, uh, uh, to to raise awareness uh, of the lion farming industry and not only the cruelty, uh, but the um, socioeconomic uh, um, and uh, conservation uh, impact uh, that it has, all of the effects of which are, are, are bad, are adverse. Um, it, it's just a, a fraudulent industry at all levels. Well, let's let's break that down and take it one by one. Okay, let's start with, I have a question. Why is it that South Africa seems to be the only African nation that has fully embraced this canned breeding, uh, industrialization farming of Lions. I can't even call them wild lions. Strictly for, as you say, being bred for the bullet and all of its spin-off industries. Why is it that South Africa is the only one that's, that is doing this to such an extent? Ellie, what you can take away from the absolute failure of animal welfareists to make any impression at CITES is the iron grip that the hunting industry has on conservation, Um, not only internationally at CITES um, and the IUCN um, through organizations like WWF, but also in all the rangeland states. When you talk to conservation officials in South Africa and Tanzania and other rangeland states, you are speaking to the hunting industry. And they may think that they make decisions, but in fact, the decisions are made um, at Safari Club International Headquarters and WWF Headquarters and all the other uh, pro-hunting organizations. That's the ferocious lobbying and litigation power 
that controls conservation. And that's why everything that's done in South Africa is done to protect, in conservation, is done to protect the hunting industry. Well, you brought up an interesting point because over the last year and a half, uh, from 2014 to 20, early 2016, we did learn that Safari Club International and, and its subsidiaries, Dallas Safari Club, were able to become members of the IUCN. And that sounds sort of like a pay to play and get a vote. So that was a, I don't think we fully understood, me, I'll say me. I did not fully understand at the time when I heard that uh, Safari Club International became a voting member of IUCN, IUCN, just the pull that it would have and how it would affect CITES. Now you've just helped me connect those dots. So do you think CITES was waylaid and became a pay-to-play that so much lobbying and I'll say money and pressure to bear happened at CITES that this rushed vote uh, happened. I mean, the vote happened for Lions unexpectedly. It was a long working session day. Um, the Lion Working Group had just finished meeting. Everyone had stopped to take a break for dinner, and then all of a sudden, a vote for Lions was called. I'm not even sure all the delegates who were able to vote or were going to be voting on this were aware that the vote was called. We'll find out more about that as we move on and decipher all the various things that happened at CITES. But do you think it really became that CITES, uh, we, we know it is a trade organization, the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species of Flora and Fauna. So do you think it got bought in terms of lions? Oh, yes. The decisions were made long before COP17 ever got off the ground. The hunting industry would have made sure of that. And so I didn't even bother to go to CITES. Um, CITES is so captured by vested interests that it might as well not exist. Actually, uh, if you talk to really, really um, intelligent and um, experienced investigators like Carl Amon, you will find that he says the same thing. He says the problem with CITES is this. It's actually counterproductive. Because it exists, people actually think that there is some control over wildlife trade. But there isn't. The uh, poachers and the criminal trafficking gangs do what they want. The hunting industry makes sure it does what it wants through control of conservation services. Now, just think about this. Here is South Africa, which is a relatively small country um, on the global stage. South Africa had, what, 72 or 73 delegates at CITES, at COP17. Just think about it. It had by far the most delegates of any country at CITES, 72 conservation officials, none of whom contributed anything useful. Their sole purpose was to be there to protect the hunting industry. So of those 72 delegates, did they all have voting powers or were they sort of like the, the gang of 72 to put pressure on those who did have voting power? Well, the question I ask is, why on earth does a relatively small country need 72 bureaucrats sitting, occupying chairs? Really um, is point. it just a talk shop? Really good point. 
so those delegates were were of the breed the predator breeders association and non-conservation although under the heading of conservation no i'm talking just about bureaucrats just about government officials i haven't even got on to the private sector uh, the predator breeders and all the other uh, uh, delegates well let's go there for a minute so so the private breeders were also being represented at CITES? I'm, I can't say. I wasn't there. Uh, and I rely very much on what I was told by people who were. Um, but that point didn't arise. Sorry, uh, Ellie, I can't help you on that one. But I'm sure uh, that they would have been there because, of course, they would have been representing their vital interests. Okay, so that's that's a question to dig into a little bit further, and hopefully we'll be able to fr- provide some more in-depth answers further on on this program as we move along following the outcomes and ripple effects that the CITES had. So, um, Chris, your campaign, international campaign against canned hunting, has been going on for years. The, do you take this as a blow to what you did or and what you're doing or do you take it in stride and knowing that we still have to keep the pressure on uh, oh indeed uh, the latter uh, definitely um, we all of us involved in this campaign realize that uh, we have to be in for the long haul the capture of the regulatory authorities by the uh, cons- uh, conservation, large conservation organizations which protect the hunting industry, such as WWF, is so complete um, that we, we're talking here about deconstructing an entire industry. Um, it's not something that just raising awareness, which is what we're good at doing, will be sufficient uh, to accomplish. Uh, we have to reach a tipping point where um, authorities somewhere, somehow get involved. Um, and to that end, we've taken the decision to try to meet all stakeholders and role players in the industry in order to try and find a way forward. Now, this is a brand new initiative. For many years, we've been raising awareness. But I think after bloodlines, the work that we've done has been well capped um, by that. Um, and the hard-working people who um, produce bloodlines, blood Ian Mickler and Pippa Hankinson and so on, they've done a wonderful job. And I think now that um, if we just carry on trying to raise awareness, um, we're going to be subject to the law of diminishing returns. So we've formed, or on, uh, we're in the process uh, of putting together, um, it's nearly complete now, um, a captive lion forum which will meet at the lion park near johannesburg um shortly i would expect our first meeting to be next month and it contains uh, it comprises should i say um all the people you'd expect to be there the south african predator breeders um lion experts lion um farmers um economic agricultural econ- economists um 
animal welfareists, of course, um, regulatory authorities, wildlife vets, everyone who's involved and has some skin in the game will be there. And the idea is to try and find a way forward to try and get some consensus on a winding down of the industry. We know that we're never going to achieve a total and immediate ban. Uh, that's just out of the question. So there's no point in even considering it. But what we do think that is realistic to achieve is a phased out of canned hunting and a secession of breeding new uh, cubs for the industry. And that's really where we want to try and find some common ground. Then we can present that to government um, uh, along with all our um, all the work we do on uh, knocking down all the objections that they might raise once we do that. So there's a lot of work um, lying ahead for us, but we think that's the best way to go. Oh, on that note, um, I want I have a couple of questions on that one. So we're going to pick this up right after the break. So stick with us. We have a lot more information to come with my guest, Chris Mercer. So we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. 
welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss. You're listening to Our Wild World and my guest, Chris Mercer, founder of the International Campaign Against Canned Hunting. And we've been talking about the ramifications of the vote that failed Lions, as Chris called it, Cop Out 17 for Lions. So, Chris, you in the first part of uh, where we were just talking about, you said hopefully next month an association of a lion working group is going to get together and try to phase out canned hunting. So, with the vote from CITES saying that basically gave canned hunting the green light and that these carcasses from these lions in the spin-off industries will actually get to be traded legally and we all know that it's going to end up on the illegal market as well of lion bones to feed um, what was the tiger bone industry. We're losing tigers, so now we're replacing them with lions and other big cats. All big cats are at risk for this trade. So, I know that FASA, the Professional Hunters Association of South Africa, has been distancing itself from the canned hunting industry as a result of the work your campaign has done and the work that Blood Lions has done. Do you think between the supporters who want to see better protections for wild lions and FASA, who sort of controls the professional hunting Association, do you think that's enough to talk to the breeders or talk the breeders who are making big money out of this out of canned hunting to phase it out? Do you think there's a possibility? Uh, Not at present, but that's the way we're working. Uh, Let me explain. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, the hunting industry controls conservation in South Africa. So the only way the South Africans are going to ban canned hunting is if the hunting industry requests them to do so. Now, why would the hunting industry do that? Well, use your imagination. There is so much public anger and uh, with bloodlines and uh, all the work that we and other people have done, so many people um, in in the public are now aware of the horrors of canned lion hunting and the fraudulent nature of the whole industry uh, that the hunting industry is beginning to feel threatened. What they're afraid of is that Public reaction against canned lion hunting is going to pull down the whole trophy hunting industry. And that is what accounts for them to suddenly, after all this time working with and supporting and promoting canned hunting, they suddenly now are starting to distance themselves. I mean, even the WWF, an organization which was originally formed uh, to protect hunting privileges in a decolonizing um, continent of Africa, even the WWF has issued a statement um, stating that it no longer wishes to support canned lion hunting. And that's the reason. It's all self-interest. It has nothing whatever to do with conservation. That's a really sad state of affairs. I mean, for people like you and I, who've been doing this for, I'm going to say, the majority of our lives, and that's, you know, at least 30 to 50 years, and we've seen the world change to turn into something that is more about economics of meaning wealth versus economics meaning health of a 
of an ecosystem, the welfare of an, an entire whole ecosystem, including the lions, wild lions. So um, from what I understand, the law, the government, uh, the Minister of Environment, I'm sorry, I forget her name, Molema, uh, Molewa? Um, uh, Edna, Edna Molewa. Okay. She has stated publicly, because she's been forced to do so, that canned hunting is illegal, yet it still goes on. So there's some tricky wording, and maybe you can help us understand how she differentiates legally the difference between canned hunting and trophy lion hunting, lion trophy hunting. Because, in essence, it's... Well, she, 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 she doesn't understand anything. She, does, she just does what the hunting industry tells her to do. So the hunting industry would have told her, look, the way to deflect public anger is to claim that you have banned canned lion hunting. And the way to do that is to create your own definition of canned hunting. Oh, she must have thought, that's a good idea. So now she defines canned hunting as any hunt where the permit conditions are not met in any respect. And that has something so to do with you, you can go and you can go and shoot ten tame lions if you like, but as far as Edna's concerned, so long as you uh, conform with the um, conditions, you know, you report within 24 hours or whatever, all the silly little bureaucratic conditions that go with the permit, so long as you do that, as far as she's concerned, it's not a canned hunt. She completely misses the point. Which is that um, the lions public have no place anger to go. is directed against uh, any hunt where the target animal is tame or otherwise unfairly prevented from escaping the hunter. So she's adopted a strained and artificial definition in order to claim, for public relations purposes, a ban on canned hunting. It's just playing with definitions, typical government propaganda. So it has something to do with the um, definition of put and take versus fair chase. Fair chase means the animal has an opportunity to get away, which implies that it has space in which to do so. Put and take, from what I understand, is taking a lion from a captive situation, dumping it into an enclosure which is usually divided into quadrants by tracks. So you can easily track the lion by seeing where it's crossed the road and define which little quarter or quadrant it, it is in. So from what I understand, the law, quote-unquote, is that the lion must have, I think, three to 60 days to so-called be wild, or habituated to wild before it can be hunted versus dumped in there the day before? Uh, Ellie, almost correct, yes. Uh, of course, the uh, put-and-take uh, periods vary from one province to another. Um, I think off the top of my head, it's 96 hours for the Northwest province, which accounts for the popularity of that province. O also, the fact that that province is one of the dysfunctional ones, which is incapable even of proper record keeping. And, and here's another thing, while, while, I'm touch, uh, while I've touched on that subject. 
people mustn't imagine that conservation in South Africa is anything like what it what they're used to in Europe or uh, America or the developed world. It's dysfunctional for the most part. You've got people who are unqualified, um, incompetent. Um, there's a great deal of corruption. Um, you, you might go into the main office in a, provin- in a provincial conservation service and find that all the uh, fax machines have been um, repossessed for non-payment of rent. I mean, this is really third world. For being such you know, what we call the Switzerland of Africa, South Africa being so well, such a, a an extensive infrastructure that so much is happening there. We don't really think of South Africa being the third world. So this leads me to a question you'd said from province to province. So even though South Africa is small on a global scale, it's still very large. Some of these um, reserves and canned preserves uh, where they're breeding these lions are very large but what I'm trying to understand is why isn't there and is this what part of your group will be working toward some sort of overarching uh, agreement from province to province of how the laws and how it will be enacted on the ground. Well, as I've explained, many of the provinces are so dysfunctional that you could change the laws uh, tomorrow and it wouldn't make any difference because they don't know, they don't understand their own laws anyway. No, that isn't really the problem. Let, let, let's deal with the major problem that we have. Hunting involves money. And as far as South African government officials are concerned, they have swallowed the line that money is conservation. Any kind of exploitation of wildlife that makes money is regarded as conservation. Now, I want to just do a little intellectual exercise here. I'd ask your listeners to consider this. We know what's happening in South Africa. This is not Tanzania. This is, you can't walk for a week here without crossing fences and getting bitten by tsetse flies and ants and getting malaria and, and dengue fever and what else. South Africa is a highly developed country where every blade of grass is fenced off and owned by someone. Now, just to give you an idea how developed it is, for those who don't uh, have a picture in their minds, um, I had the um, uh, well-known celebrity philanthropist of the animal welfare community um, from Australia uh, come and visit me. And um, he traveled from Cape Town to to the Karoo Wildlife Center, where I am, um, a five-hour drive. And he got out of the car, this is Phil Wallen, and he said to me, good heavens, he said, I've been driving for five hours through Africa, rural Africa, and I haven't seen a single wild animal. So what we've got are fragments of land fenced off by the owners, stocked with wildlife, which they have bought at the game uh, auctions, What you've got actually is you don't have wildlife any longer. What you've got is 
alternative livestock. Wildlife has become domesticated. Now, let's talk specifically about lions. We all know that there are about 8,000 captive bred lions being bred for no other purpose than to be shot for fun by hunters. And that about 1,000 of them are shot every year, say three a day. Government says are, but there are nearly 3,000. The last figure I saw was 2743, 2,743 wild lions in our provincial and national reserves. Now, I talk to the people who manage the lion populations in some of the provincial reserves, and they're not wild lions at all. Many of them have got radio collars hanging on them, and uh, they're, in, they're in areas where they cannot be allowed to breed freely, and therefore they are subject to what is euphemistically called active management. In other words, contraception or shooting when um, the population gets out of hand. Now, here's the sad part. What you've got in all these provincial reserves are lodges, game lodges, five-star lodges, um, which are very popular, of course, with tourists. But the dark side is that the managers of the lion populations are told by management, oh, no, we can't contracept the females as you have advised us to do because the lodges won't allow it. They require a constant flow of cubs for the benefit of the tourists who have booked to stay there. So now you've got conservation decisions not being made for environmental reasons, but for commercial reasons. So the lions in South Africa um, can scarcely be called wild. M maybe in Kruger National Park and Kalahari Kemsbok Park, uh, or Kalahari, whatever they pronounce it like now, maybe there you have real wild lions. But most of the lions which are classified as wild in South Africa, uh, I don't think are wild. I think it's a stretch to call them wild. So most lions in South Africa are commercially exploited, whether they're captive bred or whether they are relatively free-ranging in a fenced-off reserve. This is astonishing, and it's really very sad to think that this could possibly be the direction wildlife is going. And I, I liked your term, alternative livestock. So, um, you know, I, I think there is a difference between a lion, a rhino, and an elephant versus a chicken, a pig, or a cow. There is something inherently different because of that word you use, domesticated. Um, you know, wild, the, let's call them the alternative livestock lions in South Africa are being habituated. I'm not sure you can really domesticate a lion, but you can certainly breed them, you know, like rabbits for the purposes we've been discussing, you know, an economic uh, chain of um, bodies. And now that they can actually trade the bones, the teeth, and the skin into the Asian medicinal markets, I, I don't see an end. So um, I would really like to know what happens at this predator meeting that you're going to have. So um, right now, we're, we need to cut to another break, but 
we still have some more to go and, and some more fascinating information to come with Chris. So stick with us and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back with my guest, Chris Mercer, and we're in the middle of a rather um, interesting factual uh, conversation here about what the canned hunting and uh, canned captive breeding of lions really means in South Africa. And here's hoping that other African nations outside of South Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, in lion range states, don't decide to take on this model of quote-unquote conservation, for as Chris has made it very clear, it is not conservation, it is economics. So this is brings up a question. So even with the now legal sale of lion parts to the, the international markets, um, which we know is mostly going to be Asia um, for the lion bone trade, uh, it didn't include skins, so I'm assuming the skins and the head, which is the trophy, is what would be exported by the hunter. So we do have some uh, effects in place of countries not allowing imports of these animals unless they are proven to benefit conservation. So we do have a couple of checks. But even if every canned captive bred lion was sold at the end of the day, either in parts or as a cub or um, as a trophy, the money that comes in from that 
Does it ever touch true conservation? And if there is any conservation debt, let's say government debt to pay for conservation, would it ever even add up to those amounts? Or is it such a huge amount of money that it keeps it keeps it going by itself, that nothing else is looked at simply because the the economics of this is so huge, of the captive situation. Ellie, there are virtually no upstream and downstream benefits from canned lion hunting, um, apart from taxidermists and a few people in the trade. All the money stays within the trade. Um, but going back to the first part of your question, I want you to imagine the direction we're heading when we allow the domestication uh, of wildlife and we fail to protect our wilderness areas. This is what sustainable use, uh, which has been foisted on the world by the Convention on Biodiversity, really is going to cause. And it's a really, really ghastly parody of conservation. What's happening in South Africa is the movement to domestication of wild, uh, of wild, uh, wildlife. And what comes with that is specialization. You know, you have – so what, what's going to happen is our wilderness areas are going to be plundered because the, there is a lamentable lack of political will uh, on the part of African governments, um, other than perhaps Botswana, uh, to protect their wildlife heritage. They're far more concerned with student riots and all the other things that are going on. Uh, conservation is very much the Cinderella um, department of African governments. Okay, so... Let's assume that the wildlife is plundered virtually to regional extinction. What are we left with? Ah, we're left with conservation, South African style. You can go and visit Mr. Hume's farm and you will see rhinos because he's a rhino farmer. And you can shoot a rhino if you want. And next door, there's a lion farm. You can go and visit the lion farm and uh, you can shoot a lion if you want. And next door to that is a sable antelope breeder and a roan antelope breeder. And all these farms spring up. And, oh, here's, here's a farm where you can go and see indigenous trees because of course the trees which used to grow in the wilderness have all been chopped down for firewood but don't worry there's a tree farm here and you can pay a uh, hundred bucks to go and visit it isn't that a ghastly parody of conservation because that's the way we're heading that's incredibly depressing uh, for people like us and my colleagues that have been working so hard to conserve and preserve the wild and wilderness. You know, we have our Wilderness Acts. We have our Endangered Species Acts. We have all these um, organizations and governmental aspects trying to preserve and conserve wilderness. To have it end up being just another big box store that, and like a strip mall, as you said, for a rhino, go see a rhino, see your big five. But as you said, you know, how incredibly depressing that we would lose the wilderness. So I thank you for zeroing in 
laser pointing on that aspect because that's really what this program is about, to raise awareness and help our listeners understand that if we don't start acting now, the future for wildness is what Chris is talking about. And is this what we want to happen? I'm going to leave that as an open-ended question to my listeners. And if your answer is no, then we need to get involved. We need all your voices, and we especially need our youth to understand. So this brings me back to uh, Chris, the campaign against uh, international campaign against canned hunting. What are some of the programs and efforts that me, my organization, and this program can help share to our upcoming uh, conservation, truly conservation ambassadors, the youth? Ellie, what we're doing on the other side, outside South Africa, is to mobilize all our groups because we have teams in a dozen countries and uh, they're all volunteers, like myself. None of us draws uh, a salary, never will. Um, And they all work very hard and they all hold down full-time jobs because uh, we we, we don't, like many large organizations, exist uh, purely by donation. Um, What we're doing is trying to cut off the demand for trophies. We're trying to make it uncool for people in Britain to come out here and shoot lions. People in Netherlands, people in France, people in Germany, people in Italy. Now, the same thing um, in the United States. I was so thrilled to see the grassroots revulsion shown by American animal lovers uh, towards that murderous um, uh, dentist. Uh, what was his name? Walter, Walter Palmer, Palmer and Cecil the who, who Lion. Who ca- came out and, and shot Cecil the Lion. I was so pleased to see how he was reviled by the American public, and that gives me hope. It does. The other thing that gives gives me hope uh, in all of this darkness is the internet. You know, the ability to mobilize millions at the touch of a computer button is a power unprecedented in human history, and we've got to use it. So we've got to mobilize, and what we've got to do is to dump doctrine of sustainable use, which is simply a 007 license to kill, um, either certainly promoted by the hunting industry and probably originating with it. And what we've got to do is to go back to what conservation really means, the preservation of natural functioning ecosystems. And unless we do that, we're going to end up with what I described earlier, a strip mall of specialized wildlife sightings. This is, this is a really critical point, uh, point you just brought up, Chris. So I'm hoping my listeners understand the context of what we just talked about. Uh, and it's really critical right now because we're reaching tipping points everywhere. Wild lion populations have declined over the past 30 years to, uh, I think it's less than 20,000 wild lions left across their range states. And within that, there's three viable genetic populations that 
if we needed, would be a seed bank. But if we keep inbreeding and we steal from the wild, or even that even worse thought that canned hunting and the lion bone trade fails in its mission because the people who want the medicinal use of these pieces really want the chi of the wildness, the spirit of the wild, which canned, domesticated, farmed animals don't provide. So this is the world we're looking at, people. Do we want a big box strip mall, wild world, which I can't even use the word wild, or do we want a wildness out there? I think, and I think Chris would agree, that for the human psyche, we need this wilderness, this concept of wilderness, untrammeled spaces that people do not go, and where non-human species do their thing. And that's up to us to create not only the money um, to make this happen, to fight the industrialized special interest groups, but to preserve these species. And, and rather than sometimes coming down to singular species conservation, which, which we've been very focused on, um, going back to where conservation started, protecting the habitat so that wildlife can live within that habitat, the umbrella that it provides. So, um, Chris, uh, once again, listeners, please visit uh, cannedlion.org to learn what you can do uh, in the international campaign against canned hunting. Uh, watch Blood Lions. Uh, we had Pippa Hankinson on this program. We had Ian Mickler. We've had Donnelly Patman. And we've had uh, Kevin Richardson. So there's all these sides of the canned hunting industry and the captive breeding. And where are these lions going to go? So, Chris, here's a point. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. Let's say because canned hunting, canned breeding, farming of lions got the green light, and you said there were 8,000 lions in these breeding facilities, and we've covered where these lions co go, the cub petting, the lion walking, and then ending in a bullet or a bone trade. Um, if this is allowed to continue, what is going to happen to the so-called wild lions of South Africa and elsewhere? Uh, it's already happening. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at social media today, there's a report of the uh, poisoning of wild lions in Limpopo uh, Province Reserve in Mozambique for the bones. So, uh, unfortunately, of course, the poisoning of the lions also poisoned a whole flock of vultures and uh, a number of other species as well. Um, so, I've no doubt that the uh, failure of CITES to act uh, on the lion bone trade is going to result in at least regional extinction of wild lions. And I think that it's going to happen so quickly that um, there will have to be an emergency meeting of CITES called uh, before the three years is up, uh, before they go to Sri Lanka for another round of uh, 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 another bun fight. Well, I would hope so. I would hope there would be some system in place to give lions a second chance. But uh, in terms of Sri Lanka, COP18, the one big difference is Sri Lanka does not view conservation from the utilization perspective. And that's where South Africa and CITES got copped out, it got corrupted, and a lot of us knew that 
CITES being held in South Africa would get sidetracked. And the worst of our fears came true. So it's really important, folks, that our work efforts be redoubled, that we really bring the pressure to bear to keep wildness, to keep our wild world. So, um, Chris, we've got just like... Um, a couple minutes left here. Uh, let's let's end on a little bit more of a positive note because this has been a sad conversation, and I want to impress upon our listeners all the things we can do. But let's just go a little bit more closer to home. The Karoo Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. How's that coming along? Well, it's a, a beautiful part of the world to live in. Um, the Karoo is a, the, the Klein Karoo, the small Karoo where I am, um, is uh, very hilly and mountainous. Uh, I look across my valley to the Swartberg mountain range, which is covered with uh, snow um, in winter. And it's very easy for me to imagine that there are not too many people in the world. <laughs> and so I'll, <laughs> I will just continue to rescue orphan and injured animals, whatever comes in from the surrounding area. Um, they won't be lions and tigers, but uh, even if they're just little porcupines and jackals and caracals and bat-eared foxes um, and eagles and so on, whatever comes in, We'll just rescue. We'll put back into the wild those that are capable of being released and we'll give sanctuary to those who still have some quality of life in a, in a captive situation. Well, you're doing an incredible job in what seems like from our conversation today a very difficult place to carry on wildlife conservation for all the reasons we've just discussed. So I applaud all your efforts and listeners check out cannedlion.org. We need all your voices. We need all your help. Donate uh, not only to uh, the Karoo Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, but to the campaign. We have to build our voices up. So although this was not um, our typical rather hopeful show this is the reality of what we're facing and we need to change the tide for lions and for wildlife so on that note chris i thank you so much for a very enlightening conversation elliot's always a pleasure to talk to you and well thank you and same here i always learn so much uh so unfortunately we're out of time again. So uh, that's it for today with uh, my guest, Chris Mercer. This is Ellie Weiss. So I ask you to go out and step into and contemplate our wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 